This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Good afternoon. How are you today? Between now and the news at one, a Kimberley Aboriginal organisation has been handed a suspended $250,000 fine after pleading guilty to multiple charges of animal cruelty. The Agriculture Minister, Alana McTiernan, thinks the penalty is fair. I think that the judge uh, has acted very sensibly. I think it is a considerable penalty, but it recognises you know, the financial constraints of the organisation. It recognises that the organisation pleaded guilty and that uh, I believe it also recognises that there have been very significant steps taken to rectify the situation. More on the outcome of that court case after half past 12 Today. Also today, Russia's decision to pull out of a UN-brokered deal to export grain from Ukraine is likely to have flow-on effects to grain prices here in Australia. Before the floods on the East Coast, we were expecting an average 12-month price of around 390 to 420 per tonne uh, track or free installed for, for the West Coast. Evidently, those prices are higher now because of what's been happening. And with the Ukraine grain deal, well, Prices on Chicago Board of Trade are likely to rally today. We're going to have to wait and see if they're sustained, but surely part of that will move over here to Australia. Analyst Dennis Vosnesensky, he'll be here uh, very shortly before news headlines at half past 12, just to go into that situation in a little more detail for you. This is the country out, 7 past 12. In another grains news today, some parts of Western Australia received a lot of rain over the weekend. The highest readings were in the southern coastal region, with totals as high as 80 millimetres, which is almost unheard of for this time of year. For some farmers, it's certainly thrown a spanner in the works for harvesting, and you'll hear more about that shortly. But unfortunately, some farms didn't just get rain, they also got hail. If that's you, can you text in just so we can get a sense of where it's been and the extent of the damage? The text is 0448 922604. Kadoo farmer Sean Kalazic says it hasn't he hasn't seen an October storm like it and possibly his best ever canola crop has been damaged by the hail. Saturday we finished harvesting around 2 p.m. and about 10 minutes later we had a storm cell come over us, dumped 12 mil rain on one farm and then 10 k's to the south, uh, 50 mil rain and hail in about the space of an hour. 50 mils in an hour and hail, that must have just been fairly hammering down. Did it look pretty nasty when you were watching that coming through? Yes, yeah, it looked very dark and there was just no wind. It was just basically sitting in one position and, yeah, just absolutely just let loose. Have you seen anything like that before at this time of year? Not so much this time of year. Um, we do get our standard harvest storms, but mm. nothing to that nothing to that intensity in a very long time as far as I can remember. You've been over and, and taken some photos and also, you know, had a, a good look at uh, how the crop's gone after that storm went through has there been much damage from that hail we probably have about 400 hectares of canola that has possibly damaged between 20 and 30 percent um wheat right alongside less damage due to the fact it's still quite green but we reckon possibly anywhere between 10 and 30 percent how was that canola looking it was was it ripe ready to go 
Uh, probably about a week off harvesting. Yeah, probably one of our best canola crops we've ever had. And yeah, now this is taking a bit of the shine off the top, but that's what your insurance is for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear it was insured. Best crop that you've probably ever grown. What was it looking like it was going to go? Uh, possibly around for us that sort of two ton mark. That's a, yep. Losing 20 to 30% of that is not a cheap exercise, is it? No, no, but we consider ourselves lucky because, yeah, the neighbour, sadly, he didn't fit as good with one of his crops as it was ripe and ready to harvest. So that's basically a wipeout. Gosh. And so that, that storm that went through, it sort of cut an unusual path through, hasn't it? You're not the only person that's experienced this weather. Uh, no, it, it wasn't a very wide strip, but it seemed to start all the way to the west of us in around Condit. I know there's a few people over there that got affected and then... Um, yeah, came through some people that were about 10 k's to the west of us. I know they got damaged pretty badly as well. And then, yeah, just seemed to just hover over our other farm right north of Kadoo. Yeah. I did see on social media, Sean, that you'd made a start on harvest. You delivered some grain the other day. How How is it all going apart from being stopped with this weather now? How's it been going? Yeah, we, we managed to get started on Thursday and Friday. Um, yeah, about 200 hectares of barley, feed barley taken off. Um, so far, yielding about two and a half tonnes, which is not bad considering it's some of our crappier dirt. So now really just champing at the bit to get back out there again by the sound of it. Yes, definitely. Oh, hopefully we we can shift to one of our eastern blocks and start there because we only had three mil of rain out there. So it's um, yeah, been very isolated, the heavy rain, but yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get back into it. Is there any benefit for it at all, Sean? Have you got any crops that would still be able to absorb any of that moisture? Uh, our later wheat in, in and around Kadoo where we got the rain um, will benefit a little bit from it, um, but it's also that that's been damaged as well. So what we will benefit probably will only make up for the damage. But hopefully it's got it all out of the way and it's smooth sailing from here. Kadoo farmer Sean Kalazic speaking to Joe Prendergast. 11 past 12, or Mick Fells farms about 50 kilometres northeast of Esperance and says it's been a very wet month. Overall, he's had 82 millimetres in just the last four weeks and his October average was 36 mils. I mean, up until yesterday, <laughs> you know, we were only sort of 50% above average, but, yeah, having over an inch overnight and uh, steady rain at the moment, I can see we're going to smash that average. This might be one, perhaps, our wettest October ever. And we are chatting on Sunday and it's raining at your place now, so we'll cross our fingers it does clear up. But that rain that you've been having, and it's been a constant drizzle by the sound of things pretty much for the whole month at least, how's the crop holding up? You know, the first half of October we were still gratefully um, watching it fill our crops, but, you know, canola's basically ready, our barley's all but ready. Um, you know, you certainly would have swapped the barley probably a week ago if you were into that, so so it's finished. And the wheat, you know, rapidly losing its green. So, um, so yeah, it's not really contributing to yield now at the moment. I think it's probably heading in the other direction. Are you worried about it staining your grain or even sprouting? Yeah, I am. Look, um, well, I don't worry too much about staining the barley because the odds are pretty well stacked against us getting malt barley here anyway, um, particularly with the colour grading, which I'll be glad when that's gone in a couple of years' time. But, mm. um, yeah, look, my attention is turning to wheat now. You know, through the central wheat belt, they have the F word. Down on the south coast, we have the S word, sprouting. Um, it hasn't really been discussed yet, but I think uh, I think the, the wheat plants with LMA priming, it's probably well and truly happened at the moment with the, the finish that we've had. So if the rain does keep coming, I think 
it could be disappointing. We've got some pretty – we're going to have some good protein here like we did last year, which most of the wheat belt won't have, so it'll certainly be in demand. It'll be pretty disappointing <laughs> if it's sprouted protein wheat. Yeah. What's the penalty for uh, sprouted wheat? Do you lose a fair bit? Oh, it can be up to 100 bucks a tonne, and, you know, when we're already well over 100 bucks below international parity in WA and then you take another 100 off that, that would be <laughs> – that would be pretty painful, um, but, you know, we, we don't want to be Hanrahan um, saying we'll all be ruined because I'm sure it's going to work out fine. But, yeah, it's, um, it is a worrying prospect if this rain keeps coming. Mm. You haven't been able to start harvest at all, but uh, what have you been doing in that time? Because you've got all of your workforce there. They're ready to go. Mm. You, the crops are ready. You just haven't got the weather. So how have you been utilising that time? Well, it was the usual scramble trying to get everything ready in time. Hmm. <laughs> so um, so we have all been working pretty hard getting everything organised. But, you know, the, the three headers are in the paddock. They've all done a box full or so each. Everybody's had to go at driving different machines and things. Um, so we're pretty much ready to roll. Um, the moisture was a bit high on the canola, but, um, you know, it was dry enough that we're able to sort of set things up. So... Um, you know, we're prepared, which is nice, um, and we've taken those opportunities when it wasn't physically raining to do a bit of that so we know everything works. But, yeah, look, we've got our foreign workers here, uh, four um, good guys from Denmark. Um, we've been giving them a bit of time off. And they, <laughs> they've been very patient, but they might get a bit more time off yet. Um, we've had a bit of R&R, which is quite nice going into harvest, but, yeah, we'll be ready to um, to get to get real soon if, if, uh, if the sun will indulge us but yeah that remains out of our control that one and you've been just taking a bit of time to make sure that they're really comfortable and familiar with that machinery too haven't you yeah look i mean safety inductions are a huge part of what we do at the start um with you know younger workers and things so it's, um we've had plenty of time to do that and familiarization with the machine um for most of these these guys it's um it's new to them you know operating these particular machines that we have um so they have a certain amount of experience, which is good. But, yeah, no, so it's been good. We've been able to really um, get some good training in. And uh, it is, to be honest, it's easier to do that when your moisture is too high than when you've got good sunny weather and you just want to get cranking. So um, looking at the bright side, that's been a good opportunity. Um, but we are pretty much champing at the bit now. We just want the sun to shine so we can get on with it. And when it does start shining and you can really crack into that harvest, what are you expecting in comparison to, say, the average for your part of the world? Well, you know, we've done a couple of boxfuls of canola now, so it's good. Uh, you know, like most farmers, I'm always anxious to know how the crops are going to yield. Um, they certainly look, you know, right up there, probably, um, you know, a good good above average sort of season is sort of what we're looking at at the moment, which is a pretty remarkable turnaround on our particular place. We were on our second driest year ever until mid-July this year. We hadn't even cracked double digits yet. Um until mid-July and then since then it basically hasn't stopped we've just had steady drizzle <laughs> for the several months since mid-July so um, the good old Esmeralds equaliser has kicked in um, crops have finished remarkably well and you know it's pretty exciting that um, in our second driest year ever we had crops that were able to still make it through to that period when it did start raining and they're looking pretty good so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic I don't think it'll be our biggest ever year but it's just going to be right up there so um yeah, now we just hope we can get it off in good time. It's just an incredible turnaround, really, isn't it? Such a dry July for you. You would have been feeling pretty nervous, whereas now you've we got were. this awesome crop and it just needs to stop raining. <laughs> 
Yep, well, I mean, there's an old rule of thumb around here that you always get your average, and um, and we were on our second dry set of the year up until mid-July, and I guess, um, you know, that rule's kicking in now. We are we're actually well above average. For our, we've already exceeded our annual rainfall average now, so... Um, yeah, and it doesn't look like I see on the um, this weather cell overestimates at the moment is pretty much just circling around our place. <laughs> so I anticipate we'll probably get a little bit more before this system's passed through. Um, and the seven-day forecast is basically 13 to 17 degrees and rain every day, so it's not not really ideal. But yeah, look, um, estimates equaliser has good and bad aspects to it. Um, it is what it is, and and we just look forward to the sun coming out. It always does. We've been here before. Yeah. We've, you know, we've, we've got the fire going today. Um, we've run out of firewood actually. So, um, and we we have had the fire going in November before, and um, and sure enough, the sun does eventually shine, and we do get into it. We just have to be patient, keep our morale up, and keep everybody excited. And um, certainly, when it does. Come out sunny, we need to be rocking and rolling and getting the job done as quickly as we can. Well, Mick, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you that the sun does start shining and you get that uh, heat to come through and just take out that humidity, which is causing you concern. It's good to talk to you today. Nice talking to you too, Joe. Cheers. Mick Fells, who farms at Whittenham Hills, about 50 kilometres northeast of Esperance. He was speaking to Joe Prendergast about the late season rain. 18 past 12. We're heading further east from Mick's place out to the Nullarbor, where some stations also got some nice game-changing rain over the weekend. Red Rocks Point is just south of Mundrabilla Station near the WA's South Australia border. 73 millimetres of rain fell there over the weekend. And just north of there is Rolina Sheep Station, which sometimes has more than 60,000 sheep. Manager Jimmy Wood thinks most of the huge station received almost 30 mils over the weekend, and he's over the moon. I'm just over, overjoyed by the rain here and looking at a massive puddle over my lawn. It's pretty good not to see any grass and just some nice brown muddy water. I know the guys in the eastern states probably resent me saying it but we've uh we've been hanging out for a long time for rain here until the start of september we were looking down the barrel of a gun really in terms of a very very dry finish uh we did get an inch of rain at the start of september over the whole station which was an absolute drought breaker and game changer for us and this has really just topped off a very very dry four years with some very nice change to the season you know at this time of year with that inch of rain in September, this will really get things going for us. And in what way will it help what you do out there? Uh, well, it'll finish off any feed that germinated in September. Uh, you know, we had a very dry winter, so nothing really germinated in the northern half of the station. Uh, that September rain, that really got it going, and this will finish that off very nicely. And it also gets all the sheep off the waters, you know, it allows them to go right out to the back of the paddocks and spend a couple of days grazing in parts of the country they don't normally get to. Can you recall having rain like this in October's previously? Yeah, look, at this time of year, October, November, we are subject to sort of unpredictable rainfall storms like this. Uh, It's not that unusual to get a couple of storms towards the end of the year that essentially come out of nowhere and dump a heap of rain on us. And just to put that into perspective, earlier this month, we were forecast for about one or two mils down at the outstation. We got 14 about a week and a half ago. And then in this event at Rawlina, we were forecast for about two or three at the top end, and we ended up with nearly 30. 
So they can come out of nowhere and a big storm system builds up and dumps on us and it's a pretty good finish to the year, really. Can you just describe, like just paint a picture maybe for what things are looking like out there at the moment? So Royal Inner runs from the Transline down to the highway and the southern half is in quite good condition. Uh, it's slightly drier than it should be, but overall is, is pretty good. And then the northern half of Royal Inner was quite dry with the northern quarter extremely dry and a lot of the stations on the trans line neighbouring us they're in fairly poor condition as well because of the drought uh, really struggling for feed and I think this will probably turn it around for them. You know, we, we've come off the back of four very very dry years up along the trans line and this is, uh, this is a game changer really. Have you been in touch with any other station managers or station owners after the weekend and have have heard that they've been thrilled to have the rain as well? Yeah, look, I rang a couple around on Sunday morning and they'd had about the same as we had, that 12 mils, but it was kind of patchy and they hadn't been out to have a look anywhere, neither had I, and then probably half of them weren't even home. They were all in Kalgoorlie for the race day, actually. So interestingly enough, quite a lot of us are stuck in Kalgoorlie. You know, a lot of my staff are stuck in Kalgoorlie waiting for the road to open to get home. Right, so you understand you're a few months away from from shearing. Uh, what do you sort of need now? What would be an ideal end to the year? Uh, look, if it just stayed cool enough for a little bit, so this did some good, that'd be really handy. And if the grasshoppers stay away, that'd be even better. In 2019, we got a bit of rain, to, or 2018, we got some rain about this time of year, and the grasshoppers just wiped out everything that grew. So... Uh, there's still the potential for that to occur, but I'm hopeful that they'll be dispersed enough that they won't bother us too much. Royal Inner Station Manager Jimmy Wood speaking to Hayden Smith about getting some lovely rain over the weekend. Royal Inner is about 900 kilometres east of Perth at just over 1 million hectares. It's Australia's largest operating sheep station. 23 past 12 on the text... Michael at Coolgardie says there was an Arctic blast at Coolgardie on Sunday. And then this in from Stuart, South Cadoo at Man Manning. There was a small rain cell, 360 hectare block of canola, 300 hectares of which is 80 to 100% wiped out. And also 180 hectares of canola, 10 to 20% damage, looked like it would be yielding two tonnes to the hectare and a small amount of wheat damage. Thank you for shooting that text through, Stuart. Uh, Dean from Nambin says, lost a lot of canola to the hail. Bit of a shame because it was averaging over two tonne. I am sorry to hear that, but thank you for sharing it here on The Country Out. It does sort of uh, give us a bit of a, an idea of where that storm hit, where the rain was, where the hail was. The text zero double four eight. 922604 past 12 Well Russia's decision to pull out of a UN brokered deal to allow grain exports from Ukraine is likely to mean less grain on the world market and a more bullish outlook for grain prices. Dennis Vosnesensky is an analyst with Rabobank. Dennis, what happened over the weekend? Uh, basically, what happened over the weekend was that uh, Ukraine sent missiles at a Crimean base, and in response, Russia said that they want to back out of the grain deal. Uh, and really, it has two 
uh, a short-term and a long-term consequence if they actually do end up backing out of the grain deal permanently. The first one is that there'll simply be less grain available in the market in the short term because Ukraine won't be able to export. Uh, but in the longer term, it means that if Ukraine's produce has nowhere to go, then the farmers have no incentive to, for example, plant a lot of grain next season uh, to harvest that because there'll be nowhere to sell it. So both short and long-term consequences if this deal is actually fully cancelled. Now, how long was the deal meant to last? Because do we have a clear point when the deal is, is over? Is it over from now or is it up until the, the end of the deal? Well, the deal is meant to end on the 19th of November. And the question is now, because there hasn't been enough clarity on it, has the deal been cancelled already so Ukraine can't export from today? Or does it mean that Russia just simply won't re-sign once it gets to the 19th of November? The one date to keep an eye on is the G20 summit in Bali on the 15th of November, where Russia's meant to have representation. So that could be a place where theoretically they could negotiate another deal. So it may still happen, but if it doesn't, it could be quite significantly bullish uh, for world markets. So was the, the expectation that this deal that finished on the 19th of November would be renewed or extended? Look, from my perspective, since the very beginning, I've been surprised that the deal actually went ahead because you have to keep in mind, these are two countries which are fighting each other, actively sending missiles at one another and for, for a grain deal to exist. To, to me, it was surprising. So I can't say it's, uh, use the term again, surprising that the deal for now could be over. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, in the coming weeks. Does that mean no grain gets out of Ukraine from this point on? No, not necessarily. So I was just speaking to our UK colleagues and they said that the infrastructure that Ukraine's been building uh, over land, so rail and road, has improved significantly over the last few months. And they said theoretically Ukraine could export around half of their uh, grain exports just over land. But we'll have to wait and see if that actually turns out to be the case. All right. As you said earlier, Dennis, this does have implications for grain prices. What do you see in the short and longer term then as far as those prices go? Well, globally, I think if they can't reach a deal, that, that that's bullish. But locally, it, it's an interesting situation. So uh, initially, I was thinking, okay, we're going to harvest. This was before we had the East Coast floods, before we had the storms in WA over the weekend. Everything was looking like we're going to have a lot of crop around. It's all going to be harvested very quickly, uh, and it's going to put a pres pressure on pricing. But now, not only is there global bullish factors, for example, the deal in Ukraine, uh, the deal in Ukraine falling apart, but locally because we have uh, delayed harvest on the east coast we have damage from the excess rain and and floods uh we could see some sustained price side moving further than i thought so i thought once harvest starts that, that that'll put a lid on pricing but maybe that window will be pushed out a bit mm. and how much movement do you see there Look, it's hard to say. When Before the floods on the East Coast, we were expecting an average 12-month price of around 390 to 420 per tonne uh, track or free and stored for, for the West Coast. Evidently, those prices are higher now because of what's been happening. And with the Ukraine grain deal, well, prices on Chicago Board of Trade are likely to rally today. We're going to have to wait and see if they're sustained, but surely part of that will move over here to Australia. Now, if, for example, we get to the 15th of November during the G20 summit and Russia comes out with Ukraine and says, OK, we have another grain deal, those gains can be reversed quite quickly. Wow. Well, it's a, certainly a wait and see game over the next few weeks then. Thank you so much for that information, Dennis. Appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Rabobank's Dennis Voznesensky, 28 past 12. An update from the newsroom in a couple of minutes for you. Just before that, though, this is a story that really affects um, many of the eastern states but also affects you 
as a taxpayer. And you'll be aware that just last week in the federal government, uh, in the federal budget, the government announced plans to buy back water from Murray Darling irrigators. The Federal Water Minister, Tanya Plebisic, says that they're going to be using funds previously set aside by the coalition government for building dams. But at this stage, no figure has been mentioned. Well, we have set money aside to um, achieve the the goals of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan and there is an amount of money that is listed as not for publication in the budget. That won't be just for buybacks, it will be for other water projects that will help us meet our goals as well. And there's a very good reason that it's not for publication. Anybody who walks into a negotiation, uh, they're trying to buy something or they're trying to get a state government to put some money into a plan... If you telegraph how much you're willing to spend up front, you're not going to get value for money. The Water for the Environment Special Accounts Review suggested it could cost up to $11 billion to recover the 450 gigalitres. That's leaving aside the 605 gigalitres that is expected from state-run projects. Is $11 billion a ballpark figure that taxpayers can expect? No, and uh, we're certainly not uh, contemplating spending that sort of money. Nowhere near it. Uh, We think that we can get much better value and, and... The reason we can get much better value is because um, voluntary buybacks are on the table, as I have said from the very beginning. Nothing is off the table. Mandatory buybacks? We're not talking about that at all at the moment. We've still got a great deal of work to do with states and territories about mapping how we get to um, the full implementation of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. I'm expecting to meet with water ministers again early in the new year. They have promised to look at the projects they've got underway in their states and um, territory and we're very happy to work with them cooperatively on water efficiency projects and other approaches. But voluntary buybacks really do have to be on the table as part of the solution. Federal Environment and Water Minister Tanya Plibersek speaking with Kath Sullivan. You can read more on that story. It's on the ABC Rural website for you right now. 29 to 1. Tony Carr is here now. What's making the headlines, Tony? Good afternoon, Belinda. Former Perth barrister Lloyd Rainey has won a $350,000 defamation payout for comments by a forensic investigator that have been found to imply he murdered his wife. Mr Rainey has always denied having anything to do with the death of his wife, Corin, in 2007. A decade ago, he stood trial for murder and was found not guilty. The WA government has committed to an independent review into the state's handling of the pandemic. It comes as WA way prepares to reach a COVID milestone on Friday when the government will give up its wide-ranging state of emergency powers. Details of the review are still being worked through, but Premier Mark McGowan says it will largely focus on the health aspects of the pandemic. And a family-led vigil will be held in Perth tonight for Indigenous schoolboy Cassius Turvey. The 15-year-old died earlier this month, 10 days after he was allegedly bashed while walking home with friends in the city's northeast. A 21-year-old man has been charged with murdering the teenager. Belinda, more news at 1 o'clock. Thank you for that, Tony. 28 to 1. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varisgetti on ABC Local Radio WA. Just a few moments ago, you heard from uh, uh, grain analyst Dennis Voznesensky. He was talking about Russia's decision to pull out of the UK, uh, UN broker deal to export grain out of Ukraine while this war is on. And he was saying that it's likely to have flow-on effects to grain prices here in Australia, a bullish effect, that is. Graham has texted through saying, typical grain marketing companies haven't seen any upward trend in the wheat price regarding the news of what's happening in Ukraine. They don't have a problem dropping the price 20 bucks overnight. 
but it will take weeks for an upward trend to happen. Thank you for that, Graham. The text, 0448 if you'd like to text through and have your say. Between now and the news at one, it's off to Muche for the results of today's cattle market. And also, shortly, you'll hear more about the Kimberley Aboriginal organisation that's been handed a suspended $25,000 fine after pleading guilty to multiple charges of animal cruelty. That story not far away for you. Right now, off to the Bureau of Meteorology. Bob Tarr is on deck this afternoon. Now, Bob, there was a bit of a, a rain and hail show across some parts of the Southwest Land Division over the weekend and even into um, eastern parts of the state. What have you got in store for the Southwest Land Division this week? Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, as you said, we had a fair bit of rain uh, over the southern parts and uh, yeah, we still have a sheep grazers warning. It's very cold out there. Uh, certainly it doesn't feel like we're about into November at this point. Um, so, yeah, especially down over the south coastal districts, uh, plenty of cloud around right now um, and uh, pretty fresh winds, especially if you're out along the coast. Um, and there are some showers out there, especially over the Esperance coast and the Euclid coast, uh, pretty unsettled today. So uh, we will see a ridge of high pressure strengthening through the region. So as a result, conditions should start to ease tomorrow. We'll see those showers really contracting to the Esperance and uh, Euclid coast and decreasing in uh, frequency and intensity during tomorrow. And then uh, as we go into Wednesday and Thursday, we'll see uh, certainly fewer uh, showers over the south coast uh, by, by Thursday, uh, really probably dry for most areas. Uh, we'll be fairly cool in the mornings. And then um, as we get out towards Thursday, Friday, we'll see uh, some warmer air through the region. So uh, especially along the west coast uh, tomorrow, uh, warming up a little bit. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday looks to be the warmest day along the west coast, uh, up around uh, 30 to 32 in Perth and uh, up through Geraldton, uh, and even in the southwest corner, warmer as well. And then that trough is likely to move inland during Friday. Uh, could touch off a few thunderstorms over the Great Southern and uh, around the Albany area and possibly out through Esperance in the afternoon. But for the most part, uh, we also have dry weather from Wednesday to Friday with uh, warmer temperatures, which I think most people would appreciate this time of year. Yeah, that'd be quite nice right about now uh, in this part of the state anyway. Now, what have you got for northern and eastern parts, Bob? Yeah, so uh, over the north, that um, strong ridge of high pressure that is extending in from the west has pushed all the way up through the Pilbara. So we've had some uh, pretty fresh and gusty winds across the Pilbara coast, uh, and that has raised the fire danger. It's not especially warm up through that region for this time of year, but it is uh, very dry, so uh, quite low humidity. So uh, there is some enhanced fire danger today and, and likely again tomorrow. And that'll extend up through the especially southern and western part of the Kimberley uh, with those fresh offshore winds uh, extending right up through Broome and Derby. Uh, and over the northern part, of the region up around uh, Kananura. Still remaining hot over the next few days, probably a bit drier in terms of the uh, relative humidity. Um, no thunderstorms expected through to at least Thursday, and then we could see some thunderstorms start to develop over the northeast part of the Kimberley on Thursday, and then maybe extending into central parts on Friday. And then the warnings this afternoon, you mentioned the sheep graziers warning? 
Uh, yeah, correct. So we have a uh, we've we've had a sheep grazers warning, but um, that is going to be uh, discontinued as it is warming up a little bit uh, with in in fewer showers through some of those areas. We also have a fire weather warning for the uh, Headland, Burrup, and Ashburton coast for today, and there is likely to be uh, fire weather warnings again for tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. And then uh, out on the waters, we have gale warnings for the Esperance coast and Euclid coast, and then storm wind warnings for the West Kimberley coast, uh, as well as the uh, entire Pilbara coast, the Gascoigne coast, and the Albany coast. Great. Thank you for going through those details, Bob. Appreciate that. It is 23 to 1 here on the Country Hour. ABC Radio. Fire ban information. Yeah, total fire ban has been declared for today for some parts of the Pilbara region, in particular for the Ashburton, Caratha and Port Hedland shires. So today you can't maintain or use a fire in the open air and you can't carry out any activity that could start a fire. That includes things like cooking, camping or outdoor entertainment. Uh, they're not allowed, you know, things like fire pits, bonfires, no hot work such as metalwork, grinding, welding, gas cutting, etc., and no off-road activity using four-wheel drive vehicles, quad bikes, motorcycles, bobcats, those sorts of things. If you want any more details on what you can and can't do on a total fire ban day, just search DFES total fire bans, so D-F-E-S and total fire bans, and you should have all the information. But a quick reminder as we go into summer, you can be fined up to 25 grand or jailed for 12 months or both if you do breach a total fire ban. But just getting to the rainfall and a fair bit to get through. So this is 9am Friday right through to 9am today, the weekend rainfall totals. And right throughout the whole state, there's been a fair bit. In the northern and eastern forecast districts, firstly, in the Kimberley, Gibb River 16, Halls Creek Airport 6, Siddons Creek 5, Yulumbu 12. Uh, the Pilbara district missed out completely. In the Gascoigne, though, a little bit around, Steep Point had six. In the interior, there wasn't anything. And then in the goldfields, Credo 5, Kalgoorlie Boulder Airport 8, Cambalda West 7, Leonora 6, Norseman Airport 23. In the Euclid district, there was a bit around. Uh, Euclid itself 7, Air 31, Forest 11, and then just near the WASA border, as you heard earlier, there was some rain. And at Red Rocks Point, 73 mils. Nothing recorded out on any of our islands, but then in the Southwest Land Division forecast districts, there was some rain too. In the Central West, Alanooka 6, Bajangara 7, Barberton East 17, Bellandine 6, Bindi Bindi had between 14 and 32, Binu 11, Balgada 6, Chapman Valley 7, Eridu 5 to 8 mils, Orangi Springs 6, Geraldton had 10 to 12 mils, Durian Bay 5 to 12. I give a range when there's a number of rain gauge locations in that area, so instead of reading them all out, it's just the range. Calberry had 14, Lanceland Defence 17, Minganew 5, Moascar 14, Nabawar and North Island on the Abrolhos both had 6, Northampton 25, Port Denison 5, Three Springs 7, Tibradden 6, Wundee 22 and Una had 5. And in the Lower West, Bickley and Bindoon, five mills. Bungendore, six. Dwelling Up, seven. Garden Island, five mills. Gingin West, uh, 13. 
Huntley 8, Jandicott 6, Jarrodale had 3 to 6 mils, Lancelin East 15, Mandurah 14, Mount Solis 8, Pinjarra 10, Serpentine 7, Wanneroo 11, Waruna and Woodridge Estate both recorded 8. And then in the southwest, just a bit more, Acton Park had 16, Aldervale 9, Bailing Up 14, Beadluck 23, Boyne Up North and Bridgetown 13 mils, Brunswick Junction 21 to 26, Bunbury 13, Bustleton 14 to 17, Cape Lewin 15, Cape Naturalist 9, Capel 9 to 10, Carlotta 25, Chapman Hill Road 16, Collie 9 to 10, Kawaram up 10, Darden up 16 to 18, Dinan up 8, Donnybrook 11 to 12, Doyle Road 15, Ferguson Valley 12, Four Acres 26, Happy Valley Alert Station 11, Harvey 22, Hentybrook 16, Jarrowood 20, Jindong 12, Carriedale and Logebrook both had 11, Ludlow 13, Manjum up 18 to 24, Margaret River 20, Mayan up south 19, McAlinden 14, Millian up 22, Mount William 14, Mile up 23, Nan up 17, Newbick up 12, Newlands 19, Northcliffe 24, Paindale Alert Station 9. That's nine. Pemberton, 23. Perryvale Orchard, 11. Quinnan up, 19. Ravenscliff Alert Station, 13. Rosabrook, 12, uh, 19. Scott River, 29. Shannon, 28. Tonebridge, 11. Vass had 10 to 19 mils. Walpole Forestry, 13. Warner Glen, 19. Willie Abrupt, 10. Windy Harbour, 6. Worsley Downs, 19. Yanmar, 24. And Yungarill up had 20. The southern coastal region, there was heaps. Albany had 9 to 28, Amalup 24, Bremer Bay 40, Chesalon 32, Shane Beach 43, Chillin up 33, Dalyup Park 64, Denbarker 26, Denmark 33 to 36, Erinair 66, Esperance 46 to 49, Gardner 52 to 65, Noanga up at the GRDC 33, Hill Plains 47, Hopeton 43, just north of there 37 mils at Hopeton North, Inglebourne 23, Jacob 46, Jeremung up 37, Kimberley 29, King River 30, Many Peaks 44, Metlis 65, Mount Barker 33, Mount Howick 57, Munglin up 57 to 66, Nyeril up 33, Oakmarsh Farm 51, Ongar up GRDC 26 to 29, Pleasant Valley 72, Ravensthorpe 56 mils over eight days, Salmon Gums Research Station 38, Stirlings North 12, Stirlings South beat you with 26, Tamar 28, The Duke 46, Warrajarra 47, Wellstead 65, and then in the central wheat belt, a bit less. Ardith had six, Babakin five, Belka East also had five, Ben Cubbon had between 21 and 22, Bullfinch 19, Burracoppin South six, Gabbin 21, Goodlands had five to 13, Duradine five, Cockerton 50, Condit five, Quarter 20, Meriden five, Moorine Rock 6, Mount Walker 11, Muckenboon 20 to 21, Noongar 12, Southern Cross Airfield 13, Westonia 8, Yilgarn South 13, and then in the Great Southern Region, Badgerbup 27, Boddington North 7, Chaming Up and Cherry Tree 17 mils, Quartering 12, Corrigan 9 over 5 days, Cranbrook 18, Cranham 20, Culford 8, 
Darkin 23, Dragon Rocks 11, Dumble Young 7 to 12, Franklin 16 to 24, Glenrose 19, Highbury East 13, Holt Rock 22 to 25, Hyden 10 to 12, Katanning 15 to 16, Cogen up 19, Condinan 5, Cookran 9, Coolan 6 to 7, Quida 5, Lake Grace 20, Lake King 32, Magenta Dam 27, Maradong 8, Mordetta 6, Narragin 12, Newdigate 16 to 17, Nyabing 14 to 17, Pingaring 5 to 7, Pingley 5, Pingrup 23 to 33, Quail up 18, Riverdale 18, Tamble up 23, Tunney 19, Wagen 17, Wandering 5, Wickerpen had 4 to 8 mils, Williams 13 to 16. So it's safe to say there was a fair bit around. Hopefully it's filled up the dams just before summer. Thank you for that, Richard. Quarter to one here on the Country Hour. And shortly, just before one o'clock, off to Mushave for the results of the cattle market. And State Agriculture Minister Alana McTiernan thinks a suspended fine is an adequate penalty for an Aboriginal organisation behind the deaths of dozens of cattle at a Kimberley station. You might remember back in 2018, more than 80 animals had to be put down at Nookenbar station when they were found bogged in mud and dying. At the time, it was unseasonably hot, but an investigation revealed inadequate infrastructure contributed to the death of the cattle. Young Aura Association Incorporated runs the property and on Friday it was handed a $250,000 fine after pleading guilty to several animal cruelty charges over the incident. The fine is suspended over two years and that means the organisation doesn't have to pay it unless it commits any further offences within that period. Agriculture Minister Alana McTiernan thinks that's fair. I think that the judge uh, has acted very sensibly. I think it is a considerable penalty, but it recognises, you know, the financial constraints of the organisation. It recognises that the organisation pleaded guilty and that uh, I believe it also recognises that there have been very significant steps taken to rectify the situation. And we've, uh, of course, been ever since this, uh, the incident occurred in 2018, have been working intensively with the Nukumbar community to get their operation in order. My understanding is they've now invested around uh, $700,000 in improved watering points, you know, the sorts of things that would uh, really mitigate against this disaster happening again. I think it has been an absolute wake-up call to the community that you, if you're running a pastoral station, it has to be run as a, a proper business and you have to be prepared to allocate resources to have experienced people operating the facility and being prepared to make the investments into that critical, uh, critical infrastructure. What does the $250,000 suspended fine actually mean? Well, it means uh, that obviously this is not something that has to be paid immediately and indeed there may be an opportunity to have the actual fine revisited, I, I, I suspect. But I think it's recognising also to a limited to capacity to pay directly, but also the absolute complete acceptance by the group that this did happen under their watch. 
Do you think farmers and pastoralists across the state will think that it is an adequate penalty? I think there was some quite mindless scepticism about the department's preparedness to prosecute an Aboriginal corporation. That has been obviously proved to not be true. I mean, this has been a harrowing experience for this community and they have been prosecuted. They have um, borne court costs. They've obviously had to engage lawyers themselves. Look, there will always be a group of people that will <laughs> will strike out. They were claiming originally that we wouldn't um, prosecute. That's been shown to be wrong. We think it's important that anyone uh, that uh, takes on uh, a livestock operation is fully culpable. There has been a prosecution, but I'm pretty sure there might be some listeners today thinking that that penalty perhaps isn't what may have been given to an organisation that perhaps was non-Indigenous. What would you well, say I to that? Well, I think you've got to look. Well, you've got to look at the financial wherewithal and the circumstances under which this thing emerged. And look, I think most of the good pastoralists up there, are people of goodwill. They understand the challenges that um, Aboriginal corporations have, I think, but recognise that it emanated from a really complex structural problem that you have when you've got a community that owns a station and that the decision-making processes are possibly and, and seemingly not fit for purpose. So the part of the work that we are doing with Aboriginal-owned pastoral stations is to ensure that we've got a governance structure that can separate out the responsibilities of running a pastoral business from the responsibilities of running a community of a couple of hundred people. Yeah, you have been quite vocal about your support for changes to, to the structures and, and extra support for Indigenous organisations who have who are running pastoral properties. You've touched on some of the work being done there, but can you explain exactly what the state government is doing in this space? Well, we've been providing a lot of very detailed assistance to these pastoral properties, these corporations, really uh, stepping them through all of their obligations, making sure that they understand what some of the options are. And I think this has been quite a wake-up call, I think, for a number of communities that we have been working with that have sometimes struggled with those governance arrangements. So what does that look like in, in a material sense? What And, and look, I think it's important to understand, well, we, we have spent a lot of uh, effort through our Aboriginal engagement units with those uh, roads companies, giving them support to understand what their duties and their obligations are. We've run seminars. We have uh, made our business training programs available so we haven't seen another incident in the last three or four years, which is good. But I do, I do get a bit worried when we focus just on, I mean, I know the accusation was that originally that we wouldn't ever prosecute an Aboriginal corporation. You know, I, I just, I, I really find that quite appalling. And as I said, I think the vast majority of pastoralists actually want to have those Indigenous stations working well and, and see them thrive and prosper and be able to contribute to the overall pastoral community. So I just get a bit concerned about where these conversations and these complaints are actually going. We hold 
we have held the Aboriginal communities to the account and just as well. And there's some people that actually complain to us that there have been instances where on non-Aboriginal properties, officers have uh, have not taken action. So we've had complaints um, in the other direction. Uh, what I can say, certainly under our administration and the culture that we've endeavoured to imbue within the department, these things, uh, animal welfare prosecutions are done without fear or favour. But we are very focused on getting a good outcome. And how confident are you that these sorts of deaths won't happen again? Well, and as I said, you would be very wrong to think that these only happen on uh, Aboriginal communities. We can't ever say nothing will ever happen again. I mean, the world just doesn't work like that. But what we can say is that this exercise has led to a much heightened awareness on the part of Aboriginal communities that are running pastoral stations, just what their obligations are. Agriculture Minister Alana McTiernan with Steph Sinclair and talking about the Yangora Association Incorporated, which um, on Friday was handed a $250,000 suspended fine after pleading guilty to several animal cruelty charges over the incident. Yangora Association says it would like to acknowledge the distress the event caused and that it's committed to learning from the situation. Since 2018, the association has spent $700,000 securing water supplies at Nukumbar. On the text, Andy in Tambalup says, so the right hand finds the left hand. Anybody else will have lost their pastoral lease. Tracy Yates says this is a pathetic fine for the amount of suffering those cattle endured and I can't help thinking if it had been non-Indigenous, the fine would have been significantly higher and expected to be paid in full. This from Stuart, government-sponsored racism. God help any white farmers who have to deal with the Labor government in Western Australia. A good farmer went to jail for clearing his own land, never killed any animals. This is a poor decision. This too on the text, the fine penalty is a joke. Toothless Tiger regarding this Indigenous Corporation station situation. The text is 0448922604 if you'd like to text through and have your say between now and the news at 1. 6 to 1. You're with Belinda Varasgetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio WA. You're heading north of Perth now about 1,000 kilometres to Gascoigne Station, which is keen to show the region's aerial mustering heritage at its new Two Rivers Park. The park was officially opened over the weekend and it features a plane donated by the Bain family that were used by Laurie and later Miles Bain to muster on Woodland Station. Shire of Upper Gascoigne Deputy President Jim Cornt says it makes for a fitting entrance to Gascoigne Junction. We were always looking for an entry statement on, the, on this new park and there was a few things that got tossed around and um, the plane was by far the best option. It was sitting in a, um, in a hangar at Mount Augustus and it's, had a, it's certainly found a good home here as an entry statement for our town. Shire. There would be a lot of stories that would go, go with that plane because no doubt that plane would have kicked off well out in that country. It would have kicked off in the days of, um, of big horse teams, I'd say. And um, that, there was always a bit of action in, in the early days, and especially in the fresh mornings when you mixed aeroplanes and horses. And 
in those days, in those very early days of aerial mustering, the um, communication was nothing like it's got we've got nowadays. There was, you know, the communication was sort of a waggle of the wings or a, if the pilot was close enough, a point of a finger in the direction that the crew needed to go. And, um, yeah, that would have always... That always, well, I know for a fact, it used to cause a few anxious moments on horse riders. Then the other way of communicating those days was if you need to get a fairly long message through to the ground crew, they'd normally scribble a bit of a note out and chuck it in a tobacco tin or something like that and toss it out the window over a rider or on a bike or a horse. And um, which used to work pretty well, always sort of worked pretty well, as long as the ground crew could read and write, which there was always the odd funny story that used to go with that, that somebody would pick it up and have a bit of a look at it and they'd just put it back in the tobacco tin, shut the tin up and continue heading the way they were going. <laughs> well, it's very different in those days. Shire of Upper Gascoigne Deputy President Jim Caunt speaking with Samantha Gawling. It is three minutes to one and you'll be off to Muche in just a moment. Hello, I'm Rachel Mealy. Join me for The World Today. The latest NAPLAN numbers are in and while it's bad news for Year 9 boys in reading, the lockdown effect on most students looks to be not as bad as was feared. Brazil's boot for Bolsonaro. Voters in the world's fourth biggest democracy elect the leftist former president Lula. And is it time to retire the wet t-shirt contest? In Broome, the reviews are mixed. The World Today. Join me. Off to Mishay now for the results of today's cattle sale and Terry Birkin is there keeping an eye on the yarding and the quality and the prices. Terry, can you go through the details? Hi, Belinda. An increase in numbers at Mishay today with 2,033 in total with a similar line-up to last week. Although local cattle were slightly more prominent this week, partial cattle dominated the bulk of the sale. Quality was very mixed throughout with a full gallery of buyers active today. Cows were down five cents, but the remaining categories were firm across the board. Local villa steers sold from 486 cents to 526 cents, and villa heifers made up to 418 cents per kilo. Local yearling steers returned 342 cents to 526 cents, and young steers to restockers selling from 240 cents to 310 cents. Local yearling heifers sold up to 474 cents. Store parcel heifers made 150 cents to 330 cents, and heavy pastoral heifers were selling from 330 cents to 452 cents per kilo. Bullocks were making 278 cents to 364 cents, grown steers selling up to 434 cents, and better grown heifers sold from 346 cents to 394 cents per kilo. Lightweight cows were making 218 cents to 240 cents, medium cows were selling up to 318 cents, while heavy cows returned up to 318 cents per kilo. White bulls made up to 508 cents to restockers. Shipping bulls were selling from $2.50 to 380 cents a kilo. And mature heavy bulls sold up to 312 cents per kilo. Prices may vary from this report as the sale is still on with one agent yet to sell. This has been Terry Birkin for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Reporting Service. Terry, thank you for that. Uh, earlier in the hour, you heard from the State Agriculture Minister talking about a suspended fine. She thinks that is adequate, an adequate penalty for the Aboriginal organisation behind the deaths of dozens of cattle at a Kimberley station. Marty, in response to that, says maybe they could apologise once a year, every year until the end of time. 
And also this from Peter in Albany. Convert all the stations to freehold title. Let everyone run their own lives, their own businesses, without doing less due to an excessive government safety net. Perhaps the hapless minister thinks the animal deaths might lower prices of meat in shops. Another full, short minister, according to Peter. Good to talk to you today. Time for the news. It is one o'clock.